Hello and welcome to another Browns have gotten rid of everybody postseason Tree City Sports Podcast. Get them out of here! We are, I don't know, that. all of them, get them out of here! I don't know why Graham is shouting, but uh, that's my co-host Graham Mullen. I'm your host as usual, Andrew Baker. That's basically what the Browns said to everyone. They're like, just get out, just just get out. And you really can't blame them. So we can... We we haven't podcasted in a while. Graham had to have a, a minor surgery. Yeah, that was. And fun. I've been busy with family in town over the holidays, and now we are reconvening to discuss the fallout of. Well, let's be honest: the fallout of the Browns having no idea what they're doing as an organization and failing miserably, uh, as usual. And uh, yeah, that's where we're at. Some things so never change. They never change. What do I always say, Graham? The Browns suck. They've always <laughs> they suck. suck. And they're always going to suck. suck. And yeah. if you live by that motto, you're a lot happier as a Browns fan. So, Freddie Kitchens is <laughs> no longer coaching. <laughs> Freddie Kitchens. So, Freddie Kitchens. Wait, is, before you go, remember when they said he would have his job barring a disaster? And he's like, hold my beer. Which I'm sure he was actually drinking a beer. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the report. So, you and I have discussed this throughout the season that we didn't think that there was any reason to keep him as head coach. Um, you know, we're pro-continuity, both of us, because in sports, the best organizations win with continuity. But we're also pro, if it's clear that shit's not working, then you have to move on because going for another year of Freddie Kitchens, it's just clear that he's not ready or competent enough to be NFL head coach. And honestly, it's more the Browns' fault than it is his fault that he was ever the head coach (laughs) because (laughs) it's just looking back on it, Uh. unfortunately – you and I both said we were okay with the move because of all the success that the Browns offense had. And it's becoming, it became clear throughout the course of this season that Freddie Kitchens was, was not the primary reason the Browns had all that success on offense because under his leadership, the offense was completely disorganized, committed tons of penalties, couldn't pass the ball and just made myriad dumbass mistakes. And back when the defense actually could get pressure, they were just getting a bunch of rough in the passer penalties. Yeah, that's free miles, Garrett. So <laughs> the report was with three games to go, barring a complete disaster, Freddie Kitchens will be back as head coach. And as you said, Freddie Kitchens said, hold my beer. And the players said, hold my beer. And it was, I mean, it was terrible, truly. <laughs> they lost at the Cardinals, who were, I believe, three and nine going yeah, in. Yeah, they were absolutely horrible. And they lost by like two and a half touchdowns in that game. Um, they lost at the Ravens, which. No, it was at home. You're right. At home against the Ravens, which is to be expected, considering how good the Ravens are. We weren't going to beat them twice. And the ultimate capper, <laughs> they lost in pretty, pretty resounding fashion to the one-win Cincinnati Bengals. With Andy Dalton starting at quarterback one more time to give the Browns a middle finger as he yes. as Joe Burrow comes in. The red, the red rocket gave the Browns one more, one more <laughs> loss. So. That was a complete disaster, and quite frankly, watching those games was pure entertainment because <laughs> you basically saw the players were quitting on the head coach. And honestly, I feel bad for Freddie Kitchens because he seems like a nice guy. He seems like he really cares, but he just wasn't ready to be an NFL head coach. And he wasn't ready to have Odell Beckham on his team, and he wasn't ready to have Jarvis Landry on his team, and he wasn't ready to run a team. And You, you know it was going bad when Jarvis was screaming. Yeah, of course. And, ult- and again, ultimately, all these reports about 
you know, all this dysfunction within the Browns, it doesn't help him out either because the Browns are a clown show and they've been a clown show for a long time. And that sure as hell didn't help Freddie Kitchens out. And he, he got dealt a pretty rough hand in some ways, but also the talent in the roster was there despite the fact that it was certainly imperfect and he didn't win. And he didn't win in ways that made it obvious he wasn't qualified to be a head coach. Anything else you want to add about that? I mean, when on talent, when you brought in a lot of this talent and then had a, had a coaching staff that by a lot of people's eyes, the assistant coaching staff around Freddie Kitchens was a very good one and yep. you still weren't able to perform well. That's clearly showing some miscommunications and and the, not any continuity with the coaching staff because it seems like they brought in a lot. And it seems like Dorsey did this, which we have to talk about as well. John Dorsey brought in a lot of you know talented people and talented individuals, both in the coaching staff, the front office and players. But it didn't seem like none, it seemed like it was a lot of mishmashing of parts and ideas and philosophies that for this regime, at least not the other regimes, the many regimes before it, but this one really, I think that was the beginning of the downfall of it because Freddie, Kitch- I think part of the reason John Dorsey got ended up getting fired with Freddie Kitchens is that he apparently wanted to keep Freddie for a second year, and they're just like, yeah, no, he's he's he sucks. We're we're gonna fire him. And he's like, and then they wanted to restructure where maybe he had less power, and he's like, well, I'm not gonna do that. And they're like, all right, well, we're just gonna get rid of you. Yeah, there's been a lot of reporting both ways about ownership wanting to keep Freddie, about Dorsey wanting to keep Freddie, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. Um, I'll finish up our Freddie Kitchens talk by saying, I just don't have anything to say about Freddie. He was just so, he just wasn't ready to be a head he coach. Just, yeah. He's just not a head coach. And that's, you know what? Like I like more power to him. He's one of many coaches to get paid a crap ton of money with the Browns to coach for not a very long time. So good for Freddie. He's getting that bag, you know? Here's what I'll say about him. I think in the future, if he wants to get back into coaching, I think his ceiling would probably be as an offensive coordinator. It would not surprise me if he's a good offensive coordinator someday. Yeah. But he's got a lot of work to do to get even there. Oh, yeah. Um, Losing those last three games in the way they did was, first of all, hilarious. (laughs) And second of all... To be quite honest, losing those last three games was the absolute best case scenario for the Browns going forward because Freddie Kitchens, who we've discussed, is not an NFL head coach, got fired. And the team tanked so much, they somehow have a top 10 draft pick. And they really have needs, especially on the offensive line. And there's some offensive linemen that are going to be maybe available at 10, but sure as hell weren't going to be available at 15 or 17 or wherever they would have picked before. Makes so, it easier for the Browns to trade up if they need to. And, you know, they move up to the 10th spot in the second and third round, too. So, ultimately... On lo- top of the third round pick they have from the Texans. Yeah, well, thanks, again, for, Texans, for giving up a third round pick for running back. And Carlos they, Hyde run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> the the freaking... The, the curse of Carlos Hyde is just following Duke Johnson around. Just quickly off topic about that, there was a list on Twitter this week about all the former Browns playing in the playoffs, and it was staggering. It's it, just, it was bad. It's it's a list of men that are much happier now than they were when they played yeah. here. And, yeah, so losing those last three games and doing it in the fashion they did was terrible and hilarious and ultimately extremely helpful for the Browns. Yep. And Agreed. that's, you know, and this is what being a Browns fan is like. You're rooting so hard for your team to lose games just so you'll fire the coach. And that's where we're at. That's what being a Browns fan is like. And by the way, you mentioned the staff around Freddie Kitchens. Ultimately, you also mentioned John Dorsey. We'll get there. Ultimately, the continued failure of the Cleveland Browns the past, you know, almost 10 years, and even 20 years if you want to go back further, 
and whether or not they will be a continued failure going forward, that failure falls squarely on the shoulders of ownership. And it's so obvious in this age of, you know, Twitter basically knowing everything that goes on within an organization. You look at a team like the Patriots or, you know, the Packers, whatever, successful teams. There is not continuous drama on the field. There's also not continuous drama off the field. And there's not continuous questioning of who's in charge, who wants what, infighting, you know, a lack of organizational structure, a lack of, you know, single-mindedness. And, you know, the Haslams have owned this team for, you know, not quite 10 years, but getting there. And there has been nothing but entire organizational dysfunction from the minute they've owned the team. And you mentioned, you know, some of the staff maybe not getting along. And it's incredible to me that the Browns had Hugh Jackson as their head coach and forced him to have Todd Haley as his offensive coordinator <laughs> yeah. and then wouldn't let Todd Haley call plays. So they yeah. forced an offensive coordinator on him and then didn't let the guy call plays anyways. The guy, Todd Haley hated his job. He just openly revolted, basically. And when Hugh Jackson got fired, they showed his ass the door, too. And the exact same thing what, did, what did they do this year? One of the one of the a rookie first time head coach who's never even been an offensive coordinator for more than like half a season, they forced him to have Todd Munkin as his offensive coordinator, who's you know a very very experienced play caller, and wouldn't let him call plays despite the fact that he's experienced as a play caller and you have a first time head coach. And then throughout the season, when it was clear it wasn't working, they still didn't do it. And ultimately, Todd Munkin. In, at halftime, the last game of the season was eating donuts. This is literally real life. This is real reporting. Was eating donuts when the second half started and just slowly walked back to his spot in the press box and basically sat on his ass and did nothing. Then ripped his coach, Freddie Kitchens, and basically to the media said, the Browns are a clown show. I'm glad I won't be here anymore before he even ever got fired. It's incredible. And it's the type of shit that just happens with the Browns every year. And I'm, I'm like this, I'm like this combination of mad that it just keeps happening. And also hilarious that it keeps happening because ultimately, you know, I want the Browns to have success because it would be a lot more fun if the Browns had success, but also the way they fail is just hilarious because there's so many mistakes that, to the average fan are so obvious and the team just keeps doing them. So you're right. Freddie Kitchens had a great staff around him, but also his offensive coordinator hated him and didn't take him seriously. Just like it happened literally the year before that. And until the Haslam's decide or figure out how to have a cohesive organizational mindset, this crap's going to keep happening and the Browns are going to keep being a joke no matter who's on the, on the roster. You can give Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and goddamn Jerry Rice to Baker Mayfield. If the organization's a joke, it's not going to matter. Yeah. And I'll say this. It seems by reporting that the Haslam's have figured that out. And I think that's why John Dorsey is gone. Because ultimately, John Dorsey was a compiler of talent. And you can also argue that, you know, he didn't have – he only had two years, which is not very long for a general manager to build a football team. And you could argue that – you know, if he was given another year or two, 
the roster would have been more complete and more well-rounded. But ultimately, it's just obvious that from Paul D. Podesta, who has, you know, definite swing with the Browns' ownership. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I think D. Podesta is a brilliant guy. And the Haslams and Kitchens and the rest of the coaching staff and Dorsey and the rest of the front office, these these mindsets were not aligned. And it seems that Dorsey tried to force Freddie Kitchens on Mike McCarthy, who said no thanks. They just gave Freddie Kitchens the head coaching job. Yeah. And it seems that John Dorsey was pretty much going to force his hand uh, in terms of roster control over whatever coach was hired next. And the Haslams basically just said, look, We've learned some lessons and we just can't have an organization with all this dysfunction. And it's not great because John Dorsey did a great job acquiring talent. And it's true. I was really impressed with a lot of things he did. But ultimately, Talented six win team. I, and I, I was kind of mad when they let him go at first. But looking at it, it's just until the Browns have a head coach, an owner, a Paul D. Podesta, you know, a general manager, all these people that are thinking in a similar way. It doesn't mean the exact same way because disagreements are natural and those are healthy, but at least a similar mindset, a similar way of going about things until that happens, it's going to be the same crap. So ultimately like getting rid of John Dorsey, I think is unfortunate in some ways because of how good he was at identifying talent. But I think he was also the players he brought in. It's clear without basically caring about character at all is part of the reason this team is so undisciplined. And mm-hmm. ultimately while I don't think John Dorsey necessarily deserved to lose his job, there's a pretty good argument he didn't really deserve to keep it either, considering a lot of things that went on within the organization. Along and, with some of the decisions he made in terms of the personnel yeah. that he or yeah, the personnel he brought in, because he took some risks on some players like an Antonio Callaway and, you know, players that had less than savory records and it didn't work out for them, or just some draft picks that didn't hit. Like he whiffed on the Austin Corbett pick, which could have been a big thing for the Browns, because now the Browns have offensive line issues that they couldn't replace because the guard that was supposed to replace Kevin Zeitler in the trade when he traded Odell Beckham ended up flopping and that created a huge problem for the Browns. So it's things like that that he did throughout his tenure where he made some some risks and some of them worked out. I mean, the Kareem Hunt signing seems to have worked out for the Browns because he's at least seems like he is trying to rehabilitate his image along with playing well for the Browns. And he seems like one of those guys in that locker room that's actually trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I th- and I think a lot of those talented players were trying hard throughout the games. I just think they were just so ready for a new voice in the locker room that I think they were just hoping that they he, that Freddie was going to be let go. Because I mean, I think Jarvis and Odell Beckham, I mean, they played every single game this year despite having injuries, along with Kareem Hunt coming back and performing well, Nick Chubb having a good year. There's talent on this team, and I think they all know it. I think they just know they need a new structure around them as well. And I think they just need to find a group of people, like you said, that are aligned, have a, a similar goal in mind because you have to have the head coach and GM together. It has to be a partnership in today's NFL or else it's going to be really difficult because you have the GMs that have too much control. If they Once they start messing up, the organization becomes an issue because then the head coach can't do anything. And then if the head coach has too much power, like John Gruden does – in uh, now Oakland, Oakland, and then soon Las Vegas, then uh, it creates problems because it's not an equal partnership. John Gruden has eight more years on his contract. <laughs> oh man! So look, I don't know if I'd want him. Ultimately, you and I definitely agree that Freddie Kitchen should have been gone. Yes, I think he's going to be a used car. I, I think again. John Dorsey 
or Paul D. Podesta had to go. Yeah. And, you know, the Browns have announced that D. Podesta will not be the general manager. He's just going to be kind of an analytical mind and an overseer of the organization. But he obviously, you know, has influence with the Haslam's. Ultimately, I think if I was making the choices, I'm not sure if I were to let John Dorsey go. But in hindsight, now that it's been a couple weeks, I think it was the right move. In your opinion, what would you have done about John Dorsey? What do you think, think the right move I was? I agree with your thought process that I was a little surprised at first. Although I did, we did talk about it, I think. Nothing is surprising with the Browns. I think we talked about it earlier that day or maybe the day before. I te- we texted and I was like, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Dorsey's gone. I've heard reports. And then it's like maybe like a day later, it's like John Dorsey is no longer the GM. I was like, ah, I called it. So that's. Nothing can surprise you with a Jimmy Haslam run team. Nothing. I Yeah, I think. Dorsey, I think Dorsey made some mistakes, but at the same time, he also compiled a lot of talent, and I think that's something the Browns didn't have a couple of years ago. This team is one of the more talented rosters, at least in terms of players in the NFL. They just have to put it together and then fix some major holes in some areas where they are deficient because by creating, by having so much of that talent, they did create deficiencies elsewhere. So that's something they'll have to work on. Obviously, they'll get Miles Garrett back soon, and you know they'll have – and maybe, and then they'll have to get new offensive linemen. They're going to have to probably get probably two new starters, probably two new tackles in the offseason. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think if as long as the organization's aligned, that's the most important thing because then that'll create stability and create uh, culture for the players to come in and actually get to work and make sure that they are getting their business done going into uh, into games. Yeah, it's really interesting to me that. We're sitting here and we're both saying that we think John Dorsey probably should have been fired because he was seen as like a savior of sorts in Cleveland. And it's really interesting to me as well that John Dorsey was seen as the polar opposite of Sashi Brown. Sashi Brown was a numbers guy who didn't know football that well and just wanted to accumulate assets. John Dorsey was a pure football guy who wanted to acquire really good players and didn't Mm -hmm. care about assets as much. Now, I just think it's I, I just think it's ironic that John Dorsey and Sashi Brown are like almost in the same boat now. Not just they've been fired by the Browns, but it's almost like the legacy of Sashi Brown was was increased, was helped by the moves John Dorsey made. Because it's almost like Sashi Brown loaded the bases for John Dorsey, and then John Dorsey got to bring in, you know, the RBIs by acquiring people like Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield. But now Denzel Ward, Denzel Ward, there's plenty Greedy Williams, whatever. There's plenty of guys. But now looking back, ultimately, again, like the legacy of John Dorsey will be determined by what this team does going forward, because, yes, he missed on some picks. You know, you mentioned, you know, Austin Corbett, which was a pretty major miss as the first pick of the second round for a team that really needed an offensive lineman. Um, but, you know, again, Baker Mayfield still here. And that's that's the big one is. He was a great quarterback, one of the best rookies ever, literally. And he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL as a sophomore with better talent around him. And that's there's got to be a middle ground. I I don't know how much that is him, how much that is coaching. It's just really hard for me to parse that out because it's almost inexplicable how much worse he got. But, you know, there's still Denzel Ward. There's still Greedy Williams. There's still Nick Chubb. There's still a lot of good trades that were made. And it's like. You know, everyone, the joke on Twitter is Sashi Brown died for our sins. You know, Sashi Brown took two years of losing and getting blamed for everything to get the Browns to the point where they had the assets. John Dorsey was the guy to come in and get the talent. But ultimately, you know, John Dorsey, in my opinion, wasn't the right guy to 
you know, be the general manager that led the team to winning because he didn't have the structure and he didn't necessarily have, you know, the, the, just the structure and, you know, the togetherness. There was just a, a clear lack of vision among other people around him. And this next hire for the Browns is going to be the one that make, makes or breaks this, this era. And I think this era starts all the way back with Sashi Brown. And this buildup has now been for four years, two years of losing with Sashi Brown, two years of starting to get better with John Dorsey. And it's going to, we're going to have the answer in about a year or two here, whether this Browns team ultimately fails and falls apart, or if the next guy that comes in stabilizes everything, gets the Browns on the winning path. But it's just funny to me that John Dorsey and Sashi Brown are polar opposites in every sense of how they did their job. And yet they're kind of in a similar position here because They both ultimately did a lot of good to set the Browns up for success, but were not the guys who were able to put a winning product down to the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is very weird parallels that they do uh, have with each other. And I think whoever comes in next, they'll, they at least will have what those two didn't, and that is hopefully a head coach that they can work with in unison to then work towards it. And then instead of having someone that you were kind of stuck with, like a lot of their, like this entire era really has been because Sashi Brown didn't really get to pick Hugh Jackson as his head coach. If I remember correctly, it was one of them got hired first and the other one didn't pick them. And then the same thing happened when those guys got let go where John Dorsey came in and they're like, all right, well, we're going to hire, uh, uh, we're going to hire Freddie kitchens. That was right. Cause that was John Dorsey's first hire. Cause he had Hugh, Hugh Jackson was already his first there. and his last hire. Yep. I'd say Freddie kitchens was his hire and he, he took care of that very quickly, and but at the same time, it, d- it did not work out at all. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, this coaching search has gone and how you know those Haslam's and Paul D. Podesta kind of dis- if they discuss the process at all once they've found the head coach. Because I think we have a lot of people that the Browns are, have interviewed that could be big upgrades for from Freddie Kitchens that I think could maybe help s- at least stabilize in terms of the coaching position. If the end could also come from programs where they could bring in someone that could be a good GM in tandem. Yeah. I mean, the t- again, the talent is here and the Browns have a top 10 draft pick and a top 10 pick in the second round and two third round picks and still have cap space. And it, it, the ball is still right there on the tee. The Browns just got to hit the goddamn ball at the infield for once. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still right there. It's, it really is. And, you know, at least for John Dorsey, at least he didn't text the coach what to do on the sidelines during the game and get suspended because that was the thing that happened with the Browns. Wasn't that Ray Farmer? It was Ray Farmer, uh-huh. and he sucked just like everyone else before. <laughs> Are the Browns GM sucked? The GM's always sucked, sucked and he's always going to suck. They so, will suck. Yeah. in a more serious note, it see it appears that the Browns are going to hire a head coach before a general manager, which is not traditional, but it's becoming a trend in the NFL right now. Yeah. What is your opinion about that? in general and also from a Browns perspective this offseason? Well, I think it's good because I think a lot of the teams like they've done that before have started to do that because at the end of the day, you want the head coach to have an equal partnership in the decisions that they make in terms of the roster that they're building, and ter- but also in the talent that they're putting on the field because there's no point in a GM having final say over the 53 or 40-something man roster if the head coach is supposed to be the person that's putting – the people on the field and putting them in a position to succeed. So that head coach needs to have some not autonomy, but they need to have a partnership with the GM to the point where the GM is the person that's seeing the whole view of the team and seeing what parts are working and what not while the head coach is trying to coach them as best as possible. And then the players that aren't working, they work in combination with the GM to then find other players outside the organization that would fit better. And then they 
make their transactions that way. I think it's a good, I think the trend is a good one because I think it allows both parties to have a, a good amount of power, but also at the same time have an understanding. And I think a lot of times nowadays that you want a GM head coach pairing in this era of the NFL that works well together and is able to take advantage of the assets that are given to them. I mean, you see that in San Francisco after a couple of years of losing and doubt with some continuity and with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they were able to create a winning culture there. And now they are one of the best teams in the NFL a couple of games away from the Super Bowl. So I think those type of things are definitely possible. And I think you just have to have those type of, uh, I think that trend that's happening, McVay was the same way because they hired Sean McVay and got less Sneed after that. Things are going to happen like that. So you, ha- I think it's a good, I don't think it's a bad trend. If they wanted to do it the other way, I wouldn't be upset. But at the same time, it that means that the GM isn't going to be the one that always is going to take the fall either. Because if the head coach goes that, that also picked the GM, then it's going to be everybody. So at least you know it's not going to be the going back into that cycle of, okay, the one guy is going to stay, he'll hire somebody they're not aligned. And then we have the same thing that the Browns have dealt with. Yeah. I mean, for years it was, you hire a GM, he keeps the coach for a year or cleans house, hires his own coach. That coach fails. The GM gets to hire a coach one more time. Then they get both fired after the coach has been there for a year. And the next GM comes in and fires the coach or keeps him for one year. Yeah. And I think anything the Browns can do to be Anything the Browns can do differently than they've done it before is probably a good thing because generally whatever the Browns have done has been the wrong decision. So in that sense, I I think it's smart to at least try something different. But I do think that, you know, you look at Bill Belichick in New England, for an example, he's always had, you know, a big time say over personnel decisions. And obviously the Browns next head coach is not going to be Bill Belichick. Or someone of that level. Could have been Bill Belichick. Well, it yeah, was Bill Belichick. It, it has been Bill Belichick. But um, <laughs> it, I think that, like I said, I think having an organizational structure in which you know the minds are aligned and people are thinking the same way, however you can get that, is fine with me. Whether it's hiring the coach first or hiring the GM first, I think there's a lot of sense in hiring the coach first because – he can kind of pick a guy who has a similar vision to him in terms of personnel to where he, he can find someone that will fit, get the type of players that he needs for the systems he runs, as opposed to a general manager getting players and saying, hey, coach, it's your job to get him to work on the field for you. I mean, that's just like the Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Freddie Kitchens thing. The Freddie Kitchens offense last year was successful running two tight ends, running big formations, pounding the rock. And the Browns gave him a bad offensive line, very minimal tight end talent, and a bunch of wide receivers. And then gave him a coach that, you know, ran a spread offense. And yeah. it's clear that that, that was that was not going to work for Freddie Kitchens, whether or not he was going to be a good NFL coach or not. That pretty much just eliminated that chance right there. And so I think that, you know, if the Browns are going to get the coach they want, which is something that has happened very rarely. I mean, Hugh Jackson was a big time coaching candidate that the Browns got. And at that time it was thought to be, you know, a major victory for the Browns. And we saw how that turned out, but the Browns have very rarely gotten their top candidate because they go to other teams. And I think the Browns have the talent in the roster still and the assets going forward that if they want to get their top candidate, it's a possibility. And if they want their top candidate, I think hiring the coach first is, is going to be necessary because ultimately I think if you look at the best teams in the NFL, yes, they draft good players. Yes. They make smart personnel decisions, but ultimately those decisions are made with the coach's system in mind. And they're made with a coach who basically says, 
okay, this is my show. We're going to do things my way. And I think if the Browns are going to be successful, they're going to have to get a coach they really believe in and commit to doing things his way. So I think hiring coach first makes a lot of sense to me. And like I said, it's, it's different than what the Browns have done before, and that can't be a bad thing. Um, so what are your priorities for the Browns next head coach in terms of attributes, in terms of style, in terms of you know, just in general? What kind of coach do you want? What, what would you be looking for in a coach? The, the, the media has basically said the Browns are looking for a leader of men, you know, someone who has a good offensive system or defensive system. But ultimately, I think a cohesive you know, type of organization and a leader, a leader is what the Browns are looking for. And that makes sense to me. But what other things would you be looking for in a head coach? And what type of, you know, what type of attributes would, would make you intrigued by coaches? Well, I definitely think you want to look at coaches that are innovative and have done things differently at different places they've gone. I think you want to look because obviously if you see that they're innovating and they're doing different things around the different players that they have, that means that they're more flexible to a system as opposed to just fitting players into the system that they have created a lot of the best offensive minds in the NFL. Like Andy Reid's been in the league for how long now and his offensive system has changed while still remaining the same in some assets, but he's been able to execute it in different fashions because he is so creative offensively. Sean McVay is that way has been that way since he's come into the NFL. Sean Payton, while the saints may have had their issue, have some issues in the playoffs, their offense has always been good because of the way he designs it. Yeah, you, around you know, the players. if they would just let Taysom Hill take all the snaps, they'd be fine. Anyways, go ahead. If they if they threw flags at the appropriate times in Saints games, yeah. <laughs> all right, but anyway, yeah. So I think for I think the prior I think they do want a strong leader. I don't think it necessarily has to be an offensive mind, but whoever they do sign, they'd have to have a strong they have to have strong connections as well and be able to bring in coaches that are going to put players in good positions to succeed and also coordinators that align with their vision as well. If the Browns are going to bring in a defensive coordinator, they want to run a system that's going to fit around the players. The Browns have right now two guys in Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward that would be great man cover guys that were utilized in the zone last year. And it showed when near the end of the year, Greedy was getting burned because he wasn't comfortable running zone. He, If you have those two guys running man on people and then having other people that can run zone, obviously you don't want to just run exclusively that. You have other talented players that can you know step out in the flats or cover man coverage on defense that would maybe help if you have that in line and you have specific defense that you can fit around those players, that's better than saying, well, we're going to run this defense. We're going to run this kind of coverages. It doesn't matter what type of talent we have. Okay. But it does matter because the Browns didn't really, when the Browns did blitz, they didn't really blitz in too many creative ways. And then when the defensive line wasn't able to get to the quarterback, it was a lot of issues because there was a lot of open holes. And then for the offense, there was just no cohesion with the staff. So they need to have an offense that the head coach has some experience with, but also has someone that he knows that he trusts that can run the offensive system. It can't be someone that's a first-time offensive coordinator calling the plays. It has to be a head coach that has someone that has play-calling experience if they're not the one doing it themselves. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think I would want a coach who has had – I don't want a guy who has never been in a leadership position before. I'm not opposed to having a guy who is a first-time head coach but I don't want but they someone have to have experience assistance. Y- yes, and also I don't want someone who has been. I mean, like again, Freddie Kitchens was barely ever even an offensive coordinator. I don't want someone who has not been in a leadership role. I want someone who's been a coordinator for quite a while at least, because I want someone who has you know run an offense or a defense and led a larger group of people right, as for opposed- multiple years. Right, exactly. I want someone who has worked in an organizational culture 
that understands how to build a culture and how to build that cohesive vision. I want someone who is, you know, strong, again, strong leadership is so important because I think as a head coach, we, there are so many head coaches in the NFL that are having great success right now without being like truly excellent X's and O's guys because they let their coordinators run those units and they lead the team. And, you know, you just I saw one get hired too with Ron Rivera. Yeah, exactly. Like he, yeah. he, and he shouldn't have been fired. It wasn't his fault that team was right. terrible. But those type of coaches, like you said, are very important. And like, look, your coach has to be smart, and your coach has to know how to play football, right. or how to win football. Like, I'm not saying you just hire someone who's a great leader and doesn't know football. But I'm saying, I think leadership is my priority above basically everything else because this Browns locker room is. I'm not going to say it's a disaster, but last year was. A clown show. They get a lot of personalities. And the Browns need an adult in the room. That's what they need. And I want an adult in the room who has – I also would like someone who has enough connections in the league to get a good front office behind him and someone who has enough connections in the league to, you know, get a good staff around him. And like you said, I think – Which on paper the Browns did have a good staff. I think it would be really tough for me to have a head coach call plays, especially if he's a first-time head coach. Yes. You know, I think if you – you know, look, this is the thing. If you hire a guy and he doesn't call the plays at first and at a certain point in the year or after the first season, he feels like and you feel like, okay, he knows what he's doing as the head coach. He can lead the team and whoever's calling the plays, it'd be better if the head coach calls the plays. You can move that way eventually. But I really think that, especially if you're going for a first-time head coach, it's really not ideal to have the head coach be the the you know the play caller. And, you know, it's I think – we're looking at the list of, of coaching candidates. There's like seven or eight guys. I think the Browns have interviewed six so far. I'll just go over the names. It's Josh McDaniels. The office. He hasn't been interviewed yet, actually. Well, interviewed are going to be interviewed. He's apparently going to be the last interview. Right. It's going to be the last one of the last interviews he does, which is actually a big thing for the Browns because that's it's usually if he's the last guy, that means you you're not worrying about him going anywhere. You might be able to keep him in the building longer and try to work out a deal with him so he doesn't leave because I think Josh McDaniels is probably the top candidate for the Browns right now. So it's Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, former head coach of the Broncos, worked with Peyton Manning. Um, we've got Kevin worked with Tom Brady work with Tom Brady. We've got worked under Bill Belichick. Yep. We've got uh, also Northeast Ohio native. Yeah. Maslin. Yeah. Canton. Um, Kevin Stefanski, who is the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. <laughs> I'd be chuckling if I was him walking into that room again. Be like, so we meet again. <laughs> he was the Browns second choice last year. And I think it's obvious to everyone that he would have been a better choice than Freddie Kitchens. Well, yeah, um, it's hard to tell. I get, I get why people would say that, but yeah. I'm glad we're interviewing him again. Eric Bienme, who is the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, he works under Andy Reid. Yeah, uh, Brian, multiple years he's been the offensive coordinator. Yep. Um, Stefanski works, you know, under uh, I think did he not work under Shanahan at some point? And right now he works under Mike Zimmer. Yeah, he's the offensive um, coordinator for the Vikings. Yep. And Brian Dayball there. is the offensive coordinator of the Bills. Former Browns offensive coordinator. <sighs> yeah, the players Ranging. apparently hated him, but then again, if Eric Mangini was your coach, you probably hate your life in the first place. Um, <laughs> Robert Salah, who is the uh, defensive coordinator for the Niners. He works under Kyle Shanahan right now. Um, Greg Roman, who has worked all kinds of places. His two most notable spot stops are in Baltimore as the offensive coordinator under uh, John Harbaugh with Lamar Jackson and also uh, with the 49ers as the offensive coordinator for Colin Kaepernick. Under Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Under, so he's a, so he's he's a Harbaugh type of guy. Harbaugh's, yeah. 
Uh, Mike McCarthy was a major candidate, but he has gotten the Cowboys head coaching job. Which is funny because I heard someone say it's basically just Jason Garrett with less clapping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike, Mike McCarthy is really interesting to me because uh, last year you and many fans didn't want him because he was looked at as a retread who wasn't enough of an innovator. And this season, all of a sudden, people are just like, look, just give me an adult that knows yeah. how to coach a team. That's because you saw how bad it was with the Browns. Where you're like, just give me someone that understands how to be a head coach and I don't have to spoon feed them how to do stuff because the last two head coaches the Browns have had have been complete idiots who have no idea how to run an organization and or run a coaching staff along with the team. Just, just give me, just give me someone that knows right. what they're doing. Just give me the safe option. Yeah. Um, other potential guys who have not been interviewed or scheduled to interview. There seems to be a lot of Urban Meyer buzz, which I don't really understand don't at all. As an Ohio State fan, I got tired of dealing with that. I don't want to deal with that with the Browns. It's the exact same thing for Lincoln Riley. Maybe at least he could pay the players. Maybe less in the sense of you know headaches and more of the sense of I just don't think there's any chance it happens. Um, there's Dan Campbell who interviewed for the Browns last year who is an assistant with the Saints and is considered a great leader. And there's also uh, Harbaugh, who's the current head coach of Michigan, who I'm only yeah. mentioning because Graham wants him mentioned, and I would never, ever, 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 ever want to be the head coach of the Browns. I, don't under- I just don't understand why you don't. Because I hate him. That's why. Why do you hate him, though? I just think he's a douche. He's a proven winner in the NFL. If, if you're talking about what the Browns want as a head coach, he's a good leader. He's a former NFL player. I he think play- he's kind of a clown. Uh, okay, the the 49ers went to a Super Bowl and had multiple, like, 12, 13-win seasons under Jim Harbaugh. And we're That's the best, fine. We're one of the best teams in the NFL under him. That's fine. And, again, was part of the reason Greg Roman and that offense had that innovation and things like that. I just, I'm just saying, if the Browns want someone that's a good leader, and it seems like his time runs out at Michigan because he just can't win in college, which some people can't, you know? <laughs> yeah, the uh... – the uh, U.S. Patent Office has more wins against Ohio State than Jim Harbaugh does. <laughs> oh um, you like that one? Yeah. So I think from what I've heard so far, which I'm not like I'm plugged in or anything, but, you know, we read. It seems like McDaniels is the top candidate. I think Stefanski's right there. The rest of the guys are all kind of behind, in my opinion. There's one more thing that I would identify uh, is a, a priority for the next Browns head coach, and I think that would be um, – a, the ability to manage a game properly, you know, when to call timeouts, oh, um, you know, when, how to hire one of us, how to discipline a football team properly, not have penalties, you know, when to call your timeouts, when to go for it, when to punt, when to kick. These are things that Freddie Kitchen was a complete disaster at. And also to go along with that, I think it's really important for the Browns next head coach to have some grasp and you know some willingness to understand analytics because you know analytics are not the end all be all and players especially will tell you that but analytics if you look at numbers and they tell you something it's probably true and you have numbers are not the end all be all because you can make numbers show almost anything you want except the browns were good last year because there's no number shows that but if you Knowing how to use numbers to understand how to be better is what is important. Because if you just go by the numbers every time, then you're not understanding the situation or you know your team or the opponent. But if you understand the numbers, you understand why they are what they are and what they mean, that is a massive asset to a coach or, quite frankly, anyone in almost any job in the world. And I think that with Paul D. Podesta here and having influence – I, I, if you hire a coach that is dismissive of analytics, I think it's going to go very badly, very quickly. And analytics are 
not the end-all be-all. They're just not because numbers are numbers. But they are an important piece of understanding the best choice to make in various assets of running a football team. And I think for me, I think Mike Daniels would be my top candidate. I think fans are scared by him because of how disastrous he was as a head coach in Denver. But that was a long time ago. It was 10 years ago. He's been working under Bill Belichick this whole time. You know, I think I think he has the right combination of and to be fair, his, his quarterback was Tim Tebow. So Yeah, Tim Tebow, really. Tim <laughs> so Tebow. Plus, like at least Baker might have been bad, but he's not Tim Tebow bad. I think there's several things. I think it helps that McDaniels loved Baker Mayfield in the draft. I think it helps that he's a Northeast Ohio native, but I think more importantly, you know, he's worked for the Patriots for this whole time, so he understands organizational culture and discipline. He understands you know, having an aligned vision. There's Nick Casario, who's been rumored would be the GM of the Browns if McDaniels comes a, here. That, that would be, would be that would be an ideal situation where you have two guys that are very, very aligned. You know, I think And they're very highly recommended. And, and I think he'd be able to get a really good offensive and defensive staff. And I just think that, you know, he, analytics, obviously he understands because the Patriots, you know, definitely understand analytics. I mean, they're Bill Belichick is probably the craftiest coach I've ever seen. And he's also one of the more well-respected well assistant coaches or coordinators in the league. And I think he'd be able to bring in someone with him that respectability maybe, and also someone that maybe could call plays for him as the offensive coordinator. So that way he can focus on leading the staff, but someone that would run a system that he and the offensive coordinator could work in unison together to help create for the team. Yeah. Because McDaniels has done that in the past, working with the Patriots, being able to fit the team around Tom Brady and fit the scheme to suit his strengths, yep. which usually has remained the same with, you know, having the running backs and the tight ends. But he's been able to adjust for the most part, except for this year, because, you know, they just had no talent on that. Patriots. So McDaniels is your number one candidate as well? Yeah, I th- he was my number one as soon as I heard he was an option, even over McCarthy. So McCarthy was number two, just because I think he would have been a good option for us, because that would have given us also we could have had him with Elliot Wolf as the GM. And I think that would have been very acceptable to me as well. But yeah, Daniels would definitely be the number one. And then Stefanski, it depends on what kind of reputation he has around the league as well. Obviously you hire a coach, but you want to make sure he can bring in a good staff along with him. Stefanski's one of those guys where if he interviews really, really well, I'd be super intrigued because the offense in Minnesota, I think they have the type of personnel that lines up with the Browns offense really well. They They have a dominant running back. They have a quarterback that would be much better if they had play action to give them a little bit of a bump. They've got two-star receivers. I think that – they actually run pretty good play action, though. In yeah, Minnesota, that's know. exactly their whole system is based off play actions. And yeah. I don't that's what I don't understand with the Browns this year is the Browns have an offense built to run play action and they just didn't do it. And I think that Stefanski would align really well with the organizational mindset using analytics. I think I think the leadership is the only thing where I just don't know him well enough to know if, you know, he's a great leader and if he'd pull good people in around him. But I think if he could get an experienced staff and if he interviews well, Stefanski would be really intriguing for me. There's as well. just more risk with him, I think, than obviously there's risk with any coach, but I think a lot of Browns fans would feel more comfortable if we went from the McDa- if we went for McDaniels and that failed. Exactly. Because at that point at least you're like, okay, well, at least we got the guy that came highly recommended, you know, worked with the Patriots. I think people, if you look back now, Browns fans aren't as angry about the Mangini hires and stuff like that. Because while they didn't work, I mean the, Romeo Cornell was a good hire. The Cornell hire was a good hire, and the Mangini hire wasn't terrible. It's just there was there was other things in the organization that um, were issues. But he did create, you know, a good discipline, and the Browns were a team that wasn't the most talented, obviously, ever. But Look, they had great special teams, Graham. So, hey, the Browns did this year, too. Yeah, that's one thing. If you hire Stefanski, Mike Prefer probably sticks around. I think Mike Prefer sticks around regardless. I don't think special yeah. teams coordinators have as much of 
of a worry just because it's not something that is scheme based. Yeah, I mean, or, th- th- besides the fact that Prefer hates gay people, which really sucks, but he's great at his job. And I think that he hasn't created any issues since he's been in Cleveland. No, he hasn't. And I think that my hope is the Browns can hire a coach in time to keep him, you know, that way their team yeah. doesn't move him away. Because it'd be good to keep him with with Cyber and Gillen for another year just to give them continuity as well, because both of them had their moments this year as being really strong players, Gillen especially. That's the one area where the Browns improved dramatically from last year to this year. I think if you can't, as your brother would say, we're talking to you, Jay, don't mess with the formula too yeah. much. But You, cha- you changed one word in that, but it's okay. Whatever. <laughs> He understands it. You know we're talking about, yeah. Jay. You don't fuck with the formula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, just a side note. Greg Williams is widely being credited as the guy who's holding the Jets season together. And because apparently Adam Gates is a terrible leader, which everyone's always known. And I guess Greg Williams is the guy that's, like, held the Jets together and led the team. It makes you wonder. If – I'm telling you, man, if Greg Williams was the Browns coach last year, they would have been a lot better than they were this year. And that doesn't, what do you mean, think the Browns, that doesn't mean he was the right choice, and I don't think he was the right choice. I'm just saying, you know. If the Browns would have it's had just funny. Greg Williams as the head coach and kept Freddie as the offensive coordinator. <laughs> well, and, the offense still would have sucked. And probably it probably would have been I think it probably would have been slightly better just yeah. because Freddie wouldn't have been worried with trying to do in game decisions, which was probably the most laughable thing about his head coaching tenure. But yeah. Because he still has showed moments as a play caller where I was like, oh, shit, he kind of knows what he's doing. And then there, there's other moments where I'm like, why are you throwing three wide receivers when you have Nick <laughs> Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you idiot. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be it's interesting to see what it's going to be like for that. But I I have confidence that the that if the Browns get Josh McDaniels and can bring in like Nick Casario, who was want, the Texans wanted as their GM last year before some tampering stuff came in, that'd be really good because I think they would be aligned and I think that would be one of the stronger coaching hires that has happened for the Browns in a long time. Cause it's also someone that's been wanted for both the giants and the Panthers position. I'm open to most of these candidates, but I would be, if we get McDaniels, I will be pretty confident. The Browns will at least improve for next year. If we get Stefanski, I wouldn't mind the rest of these guys. I think are more of a, I think Roman would maybe. be terrible. Roman, I'm just not sure. Because he's been an offensive coordinator yeah. for multiple years, so you know he can run a room, and he's done it at two different places as well. I guess my question for him would be how much of his success is built off running quarterbacks and how much of his offense would be adaptable to a quarterback that doesn't have you know, m- you know, know, mobility like Baker Mayfield. But he ran an offense with Alex Smith when he was in San Francisco. Yeah, Alex Smith. He makes Baker Mayfield look like Tim Tebow. <laughs> um, uh, boy. So, you know, we'll see. I think – I don't think we're getting an. Today is Monday. I don't think we're getting an answer by midweek, but I think hopefully by the weekend. Um, I, I have more confidence. I don't know why, but I oddly have more confidence right now in who the Browns are going to hire than I've had in a long time. It just seems like the Haslam's have learned their lesson, and God knows anything that Jimmy Haslam's doing is dangerous. But it just seems like at least the team is understanding that, you know, they need a cohesive vision, they need a leader, and they need to prioritize those things first, and that's. At least they've, I mean, God, this is very simple to me, it seems, but at least they've kind of figured that out. So I'm relatively optimistic. I guess my main fear is their top candidate turns them down just because it's the Browns. I mean, like Matt Rule, the Baylor head coach, who's basically, rumored to be maybe the Giants' next head coach, he basically he just told the, the Browns no thanks to the interview, which... Well, maybe he was set, and he might have just been set on the Giants, because from what it looks like, it doesn't even seem like he's going to... Well, he interviewed with the Panthers. Yeah, but... He just said no to the Browns. Yeah. And other other people have said no to the Browns before, so I don't know. We'll see. But I, I think I'm 
mildly optimistic about the Browns going forward, which my my saying is they have always sucked and always will suck, but I'm I'm still mildly optimistic. What about you? Uh, I guess I'm going to have to see who they hire first and then also see some of the moves they make, at least going into the free agency and keeping players like it's whoever's going to come in. Are they going to keep Schobert? Are they going to make the right decisions and, you know, like get rid of Demarius Randall? <laughs> are they going to get rid of certain players that are no longer that are from previous regime like John Dorsey that didn't work out Chris Hubbard? But keep players that worked out like TJ Carey. You just hate Chris Hubbard. Chris Hubbard sucks. Yeah, he's not and good. And Greg Robinson isn't good either. We had the <laughs> yeah. one-year experiment of Greg Robinson. We have two offensive linemen. It's good. And we need to get the tackle. So I think we need someone that's going to be willing to move on from past mistakes and also give, and be able to go into free agency with the ideas and be able to come out of it with a couple players that can make an impact for us. The Browns do have enough money to spend. Obviously, they don't have to spend wild, but... There are some good offensive linemen available in free agency that would be a really big help for the Browns. And I think could really, even if, because worst case, I mean, Kendall Lamb's probably a better starting right tackle option than Chris Hubbard, let's be yeah. honest. And we'll have a, it's not great. We'll have a full breakdown of the roster, the draft possibilities, free agent possibilities. Don't go, Schober. You know, we've got to, yeah, please just keep Joe Schober. I love him. I don't, that's I my don't, only request. I don't care if he's small or if he's, if he's not a great fit for your defense. Just keep him. He's good. Okay. Right. And Eric Murray. Yeah. By the way, I like Eric Murray. Shout out Eric Murray. Yeah, he's, he's a good fine. slot. He's a good slot corner and uh, free safety. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, you know, I, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, guys like that that were brought in when Dorsey was brought in. I hope a couple of those guys stay around because I think they're good at their jobs, regardless of who the GM is. But I think a, a lot of those guys are waiting to see who the next head coach and GM are before they leave or not. I think Wolf would enjoy working with Casario, or at least it could be a good potential pairing with him and Casario if he was yeah. still the assistant GM under Casario. Because that would be that would be nice to kind of learn under yeah. him as well. But as we've said, you know, we don't want anyone forced on anybody. We, right. We if it's not going to work vision. out, then right. yeah, he should go explore other avenues, and he could be a GM candidate for another team as well. Yeah. Um, we'll find out. Like I said, I'm mildly optimistic. I don't really know why I shouldn't be after all these years, but I just feel like for whatever reason, I, I if the Browns get McDaniel's, I just think it could be, I think it could be a really good fit going forward. Um, We'll just take a quick break here. We just wanted to uh, shout out online-voice-recorder.com. Um, we've been making this podcast for two years, and we love Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. Um, but we've had, you know, wherever we record, be it on a program, uh, on the computer, an app, or we record on a website, we've just had problems. We've had the podcast cut off. We've had entire audio issues. Deleted. We've had an entire podcast disappear, which let me tell you is not a great feeling. And for whatever reason, I don't know who makes it. I don't know if they even update it anymore, but online-voice-recorder.com, you are our savior. It's probably Russia. And, oh God. <laughs> and the quality's great, and we can record for as long as we want, and there's never been an issue with it. And I'm tapping on wood literally right now, but thank you to online-voice-recorder.com. You have uh, helped us out a lot, and you have caused us to have less stress for fear of a podcast being deleted. So. Sure. Now that sponsor, they, they didn't, are not paying us for that, by the way. I just we just decided to do that. So, from one dysfunctional organization to another, we're going to do a brief Cavs update. We're going to keep it kind of short because they suck. All right, yeah, <laughs> they suck. They've always sucked when LeBron's not here, and they're always going to suck when LeBron's <laughs> not suck. here. Yeah. Um, so basically, in, in summary, um. There was rumors about veterans revolting against the coaching staff led by John Beeline, who's been a college coach his whole life. Um, 
Colin Sexton hasn't improved at all. His teammates clearly hate playing with him because he doesn't pass the ball. And the Cavs are kind of a disaster. And Kevin Love has got, of, Kevin Love has gotten the point where he just doesn't give a fuck at all. He's just chucking I the mean, ball and throwing yeah, he, he got angry. Throws. He didn't get a post up, so he just chucked the ball at Jetty Osman. He um, he, I guess Kobe Altman. He screamed at Kobe Altman, which is the Cavs GM, and <laughs> Kobe Kobe Altman said he was going to find him. And Kevin Love said, "Go ahead and find me. I got plenty of money." Which, by the way, incredible move by Kevin Love. <laughs> just. Incredible. Sure, I'll just pay it was the $30 million contract a year you gave me. That you have three and a half more years on. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So, you know, things are deteriorating pretty quickly. It's baller it's, move, Kevin. It's not great. Um, I've said for a while that we should have traded love. him. They, we, yeah. Like, we should have traded him a while ago. It's no surprise that Kevin Love is unhappy with the team being as bad as it is. And we thought, you know, maybe Colin Sexton could turn it around. And he's just, he's just so bad. Like, he's such an empty stats guy. Like, he is yeah. the most empty stats. Like, he'll, he'll score 18 and have, like, f- like three rebounds and four assists, and you're just like, what the fuck? His effective field goal percentage in the first half of games is around 45%, which is horrendous. It's so bad. In the second half, he's in, like, the low to mid-50s, which is respectable, which just shows that basically he's good in blowouts. Shout out to Shaq Diesel on Twitter. Um, so... My views on the Kevin Love situation are Kevin Love should shut up because he's the one that signed a four-year extension within a month of LeBron leaving, knowing full well, like, there's no way Kevin Love thought this team was going to be good without LeBron. It's just not a possibility. I mean, I don't think him and JR were like, and, this team's going to win 50 And maybe games. he thought the rebuild would go a little quicker, whatever. Kevin Love is in Cleveland because he got paid more than anyone else would have paid him. And I think Kevin Love's jersey should be in the rafters. I think he's one of the best Cavaliers players ever. He's we Cavs would not have won a title without him. I have incredible admiration for Kevin Love. His mental health awareness, the way he goes out and talks about that is incredible. I have nothing but good things to say about Kevin Love. Yeah, I wear his jersey but, shirt all the time. I love him. But it's called a jersey. Get it right. Whatever. So, <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, dude, you know what you were signing up for. You signed up for the money. Let's just keep it 100 here, okay? Number two, the Cavs should just shut up because they knew what they were signing up for yeah. when they signed Kevin Love. They were starting a rebuild, and the GM wanted to trade him, and because Dan Gilbert is one of the worst owners in professional sports, Kevin Love is here for four more years, and the Cavs can't trade him because, let's be honest, Kevin Love is a good player, but he's old and injury-prone and getting paid $30 million for four more seasons. So let's just keep it real all around. Kevin Love, you knew what you were getting into. The Cavs, you knew what you were getting with this contract. Everyone should shut up and deal with it. We all know what it is. It's not great. And let's just hope the Cavs can trade Love because at this point, it's very obvious that Kevin Love doesn't want to be here. And it's obvious that it's not helpful for the Cavs' young players for Kevin Love to be here. And like, really, I don't blame Kevin Love or the Cavs. I blame them both because they both knew what was going to happen here. And the delusions of grandeur that Dan Gilbert said they were going to push for a playoff spot. It's the same shit that happened when LeBron left the first time and Dan Gilbert said, we're going to win a championship for LeBron. Ever does. It's just asinine. And ultimately the reason Colin Sexton is starting and not coming off the bench where, by the way, if Colin Sexton was averaging 15 to 18 points a game off the bench, we would love him. But unfortunately we watch him play with love and Thompson love stands there waiting for a pass. The whole possession never happens. And Darius Garland can't run the offense because Sexton is hijacking possessions. 
And all this crap stems from Dan Gilbert because he sucks and he wants to control the whole team because he's the guy with the big dick and all the money. And that's what Dan Gilbert is. And until Dan Gilbert, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but until, <laughs> until Dan Gilbert is not the Cavs owner anymore, this is probably what the Cavs are going to be like. Um, and you know, maybe LeBron will come back when he's 39 and miracles can happen because LeBron is as close to basketball. Jesus as there ever has been Yeah, him and Bronny, um, him and Bronny going to come in and just average. Yeah. So anyways, like we knew what this was going to be with Kevin Love. The Cavs knew Kevin Love knew. And ultimately the lack of function in the Cavs organization is Dan Gilbert's fault. And I'm blocked by Dan Gilbert on Twitter. And I'm proud of that fact. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I would be too. I mean, Colin, I mean, getting blocked by Dan Gilbert is, a this is not passage. Colin Sexton's fault. He's not a great young player. He doesn't run an offense well, but he can score the ball. His ideal role is as a bench scorer. That's where he should be, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, the Cavs could have picked Shea Gildas-Alexander, and they'd look entirely different right now. But you know what? Again, hey, Dan Gilbert wanted Colin Sexton, so <laughs> that's who we got. Imagine having SGA, Darius Garland, and Kevin Porter right now. That'd be an interesting pairing because really the only two players that have been interesting recently for the Cavs in the games that I've been watching and keeping track of have been Darius Garland finally improving as a showing more as a passer, especially and scoring a little bit more. And then also Kevin Porter Jr. is just he's just so fun to watch, man. He's just so energetic and he's able to get to the hole really well. He's athletic. He has some really good plays. He's actually not he's not the greatest shooter, but he's not a bad shooter. He's improved dramatically. Yeah. I think in he that, is. I think he has improved the most out of any player this season for sure. And I think Easily. I'm definitely. I was definitely wrong in his thinking about. I was like, oh, he's 30th pick of the draft. He's probably not going to do much. He's really shown that. I think he's worst case. He's probably going to be a player that could be a really energetic role player for the Cavs whenever their uh, their window does start. Because I think because he's only 19, he's going to be with this team for a long period of time. And I think he could yep. he could blossom into something greater. Again, I don't know what his ceiling is yet. He's still so young. Sexton's but, 21, Garland is 19 or 20. And if you really don't Kevin like Porter Sexton... Jr. is 19. Like, again, I'm not saying that Sexton sucks or he's not a good player. I'm just saying he's not a good fit in the starting lineup. You know what I mean? If you really don't like Sexton that much, you could put him and Kevin Love in a deal together. If Imagine Kevin Love, Kevin Love was being like, oh yeah, by the way, Sexton's at the deal too. He'd be like, uh, no, I'll just stay here now instead. You can trade Colin. No, no, no. You're gonna, you guys are going to go together. But I really don't want to. Yeah. So, yeah, Garland, I think, is is developing nicely. Again, I think it'd be better for him if Sexton was coming off the bench so he could run the offense. He looked better at any point this year than I think Sexton did in terms of running offense last Sexton year. Sexton improved a lot as a scorer last year, and he's regressed in that sense, unfortunately, but he has never shown any ability to run an offense. Yeah. And again, like, it's okay. Sexton is a scoring combo guard off the bench, and that's okay. It's not it's ideal to pick, but it's okay. Yeah, sure. Garland has shown potential to be a legitimate point guard. And I, I, I just love KPJ. I, I, I just love him. He's hurt now. He's only going to miss a couple weeks, thankfully. Yeah, it was a scary look. Early injury. in the season, he came out, and it was just so obvious that he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> he couldn't shoot. He really wasn't scoring. He was deceived defensively. But I, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm just staking my claim to this. I was the first person in all. The entirety of Twitter history, this is real life, I'm claiming this, to love Kevin Porter Jr. with the Cavs. I said it from literally game one. He was terrible. Terrible. But I said I like the way he plays. A, he tries really hard. B, he can get the basket. C, when he gets the basket, he has a good idea whether he should score or pass. D, he has good passing ability. 
And E, his shot has improved so dramatically. He now looks like an entire, entirely different player. He can right? also play pretty decently defensively. I too. really like his energy. I really like him. I'm I'm a Kevin Porter Jr. stan, and just know that when he was trashed this year, I was defending him from game one. I really like him. And, yeah. again, the Cavs don't have anyone who I think will be a legitimate number one on a playoff team going forward. I just don't. Maybe Garland, maybe KPJ, but I think most likely those guys are, you know, two or three players, and certainly not Colin Sexton. Um, but so, you know, the Cavs are the, still at the very early stage of this rebuild. So it's they're not going to be good for a long time. But I, th- I think we're going to be saying that five years in. They're still at the very early stage. Well, I think if they can move Kevin Love and if they can draft another promising player this year, the picture will start to finally change. You know what I mean? And if they trade Kevin Love, this is a good year for big men coming up in this draft. There's a lot of good guys coming out that are big men. It's not as many guards this year except for a few. But I think you could it could really benefit the – Brown or not the Browns. I'm sorry, the Cavs. If they can get one of those type of players after trading Kevin Love, because I think then you could just replace that and have a young tandem, kind of like the Grizzlies do, where they have Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. Get a young big man to go with that young point guard, and then also have your young wing slash guard combo with Kevin Porter Jr. And that could those that's the beginnings of a team where you could start saying, okay, now the guts and the core of the team are here. It's time to start seeing improvement and then building around them. So we'll get out of here on this. We're going to just do a little, basically a game where we rank the Cavs assets going forward. So not like Kevin Love. We're saying, you know, who we think could be most helpful to a winning team in the future. So the choices are Sexton, Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Larry Nance, Jetty Osman, Dylan Windler, who has not played yet, and the Cavs first round pick this year. Number one, who would you pick? I'd probably go with Garland. I think I'd probably go with the Cavs first round pick this year. I I would pro- honestly I'd put Gar- I'd put Garland then I'd put KPJ then I'd put the first rounder this year just because from what I've heard it seems like this draft isn't going to be super strong but at the same time it also does depend if the Browns can get maybe that James the James Wiseman kid from uh, Memphis that apparently is supposed to be an incredibly good big man uh, if they can get someone like that you know I that obviously would change but those three are by far the most important pieces. I think Garland, if he continues to improve this year as a passer and his scoring shows like it did in those spurts at, uh, what was it, Vanderbilt, then I think he'd be someone that would be very, that would be a big going into next year knowing that we have a guard that might be able, a potential starting point guard in the NBA, which is not easy to do because the NBA right now is flush with, with talent at point guard. Yeah, I think Garland, KPJ in the first round of this year, there's a pretty good argument for any three of those. I think I'd go the first rounder just because I think that I just don't know who that's going to be yet. Yeah. Well, no, that's the whole point of the game. You know, I think I think I'd take a shot considering the Cavs have a chance to win the lottery and have a chance to have you know at minimum a top six pick. So I think just because I don't think that Garland or KPJ is a true number one and this first rounder could be, I think I'd take that first. I think I'd take Garland second, KPJ third. I think fourth I go Sexton. Yeah. I still he- think Sexton can be a good bench scorer, and that's not to insult him. I think he can be you know, a 16 to 18 point per game score off the bench. And I really think that's okay. And if you don't think that's his his future is on the Cavs, but he's showing enough promise, some team is going to want that contract for, and if he's showing as a bench scorer as well. So he could be an asset where the Browns or not the Browns. I'm sorry. Keep talking, saying Browns, the Cavs could move him and be able to maybe get another asset that maybe fits their, uh, their philosophy a little bit better. So out of Nance, Osman and Dylan Windler, how are you taking those in order? I probably Nance has three years, thirty-three after this year. Osman has four years, thirty-ish after this year. I mean, Nance has probably Nance has a little bit more upside to me just because he's a little bit more athletic and he's able to be a little bit. How more old do you think Larry Nance is? I think he's twenty-seven. He's twenty-seven. 
Yeah. Jetty's, I think Jetty's 25. I think so. But Jetty just kind of has like this very, very easy floor to see where you're just like, okay, he's not that athletic. He's not that great at defense. He's not terrible, but he's <laughs> not very good. He's an okay scorer. He's an okay three. He's just okay, really, at everything. He doesn't have anything that really stands out to me. His whereas, best attribute is shooting. Which, you know, he's a pretty good shooter. He's not great. Larry Nance can kind of improved a little bit as a shooter. But at the same time, he's good at getting to the rim. He's able to get good offensive rebounding. He could be our – He's pers- a glue guy. He'd be someone that would be – he could help replace uh, Thompson event- when Thompson eventually leaves. At the- hey, Tristan Thompson's going to be a cab for life. You stop that talk right now. I think he's going to go to a playoff team. Well, I'm going to be heartbroken. Some people are thinking that the Cavs might Tristan try Thompson to buy him is the out. opposite of Kevin Love. He is a great leader. If the Cavs bought him out, how many teams do you think would line up to try to Every sign single him? playoff team. What team he, do you th- he fits literally anywhere. If he like oh, he's oh, a bro, imagine him on the Clippers. Clippers, Raptors, the Lakers. Lake, yeah. That would the Lakers would be fun him Maybe Anthony. not the Lakers as much cuz of Dwight Howard being there who's actually he, been really good. I'd rather have t- Tristan Thompson than Dwight Howard playing minutes and then have Yeah, there's also JaVale McGee whatever you think about that. Oh god. But he, JaVale but, McGee and Dwight Howard both have a PER in the low to mid-20s. It's incredible. They both – it's crazy. It's By the way, LeBron, it's year 17. I mean, my God. He's I love LeBron. Averaging like 11.5 assists a game. It's really ridiculous. I mean, we said that eventually it's he was so going to have one of these years where he's going to average double-digit assists because he's not going to have to score as And yet much. he's still putting up 25 points a game. It's yeah, insane. But 25 for him is a little bit lower than it used it's, to be. It's like he used to have to average like 28 or 29. He's like, all right, I'm going to average 25, but I'm going to average 11 assists and like eight rebounds. The problem is the Lakers ro- roster, besides him and AD, is hey, just not great. Alex Caruso. They have, da- you have Danny Green, right? Alex Caruso, LeBron, AD, and then you have the JaVale Dwight center minutes. Don't forget Avery Bradley. Yeah, Avery Bradley sucks. Yeah. Kyle Kuzma doesn't fit there. Rajon Rondo is a disaster. They're apparently going to trade him. Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, the, the Kings are rumored to be giving up Bogdanovich for him, which, what the hell are you doing? Bo- the shooting guard? Yes. Oh, that'd be perfect. It, it, yeah, it's insane. Then you can By play the Danny way, Green at small I want forward. the Cavs to sign him, but anyways. So, I think I'd go... <sighs> I guess I'd go Osman first just because he's getting paid less than Nance and he's younger. Uh, I think both of them are like useful sixth and seventh men. Yeah, you, I think yeah. eighth and ninth men. Yeah, seventh and we'll go seventh, seventh, eighth, or ninth men. Yeah. I think those guys are both useful rotation players, but if they're starting, you have problems. Dylan Windler, I think, would be last just because he's a complete unknown who has all these injury issues. All we know um, is that he's supposedly. Oh, a we good forgot shooter. to include Dean Wade. No. <laughs> okay. That's like you all and David right, Nawab so, last year. Hey. I love David Nwaba. Isn't he playing for someone? No, he tore his knee. Who was he playing for? for? He's playing for the Nets. Playing really well for the Nets, by the way. Like, playing really well. And he tore his knee up. It sucks. Uh, I feel bad. I love David Nwaba. Yeah, you do. Anyways, this has been our marathon podcast. uh, Talking about the two of the most dysfunctional teams in sports are Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's hope it gets better for both from here. Let's hope the Browns can make the right head coaching and front office hire. Let's hope the Cavs can get Kevin Love out of here, and so everyone's happier. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. But we'll definitely have another podcast coming up whenever the Browns make their head coaching hire. Uh, We'll have more podcasts if the Cavs eventually trade Kevin Love or if he just has an open mutiny on the court. And, uh, you know, we'll find out. And check it. Make sure you check. It's been a busy time for us podcast-wise in both Tree City Sports and Tree City Radio Um, So make for Tree City Records. So make sure that you're going to check out our podcast that you're going to be listening to here. Then you're also going to have Red and Blue with me and Olam. We had that come out a couple days ago. And then also Olam and Bryant put out 
Fireteam Firepack, their Destiny 2 podcast. So that's also out as well. So make sure you check out for all three of those podcasts because they all we are all affiliated together. And uh, yeah, make sure you check uh, everything out on TreeCityRecords.com as well and check out our Twitters, which of course Andrew always so eloquently tells us every I'm show. at A Baker underscore sports and Graham is at G-T-M-O-H-A-N. Yeah, I had some good tweets about the Browns. It was good. Yeah, I, I was arguing with an internet troll today about uh, he was trying to tell me that the Cavs shouldn't have drafted Shea Gilgis Alexander because he didn't want to work out for the Cavs, which is just hysterically bad logic. But that's okay. Some people are stupid, and I'm not. So, anyways, <laughs> the, all right, they're, they're <laughs> stupid. They always will be stupid. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> exactly. They've always been stupid. <laughs> yeah, oh, internet trolls! All right, thanks for listening. Please give us uh, five star reviews. But we appreciate the listens, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Peace.